You're listening to the Live Free Now podcast, bringing you the news, views, tips, and tools you can use to live a free, prosperous, and healthy life. Find us online at livefreenow.show. And now your host, John Bush. Welcome, 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 ladies and gentlemen, to the Live Free Now show, bringing you the news, views, tips, and tools you can use to live a free, prosperous, and healthy life. We have a wonderful show lined up for you today. We're going to be talking to two experts and doers in their own rights, Marjorie Wildcraft of the Grow Network and Christian Westbrook, the Ice Age Farmer, both of these people have a wealth of knowledge, not just of the problem, which we can go super depth on that and we definitely will, but more importantly, solutions that you can take in your daily lives so you do not find yourself vulnerable or dependent on any systems or institutions. As you well know, things are changing at a very rapid rate. And you know, in some ways things are declining and we see the growth of this terrible technocracy but in other ways, in a different light, more people are awakening, more people are uniting, more people are taking action, more people are seeing through the veil of legitimacy that the state and the technocrats aim to have. And so we want to bring you these two amazing speakers and presenters and doers in hopes of educating you and inspiring you to take action. I do want to share that both of them will be presenting yet again at the Greater Reset Activation Part 2. That's right, folks. It was such a great success. We literally took part in igniting a movement of people globally. I'm blown away by the global participation because this is a global problem uh, that we're decided to do it again. That's going to be May 24th through the 28th. May 24th through the 28th. Once again, we'll be bringing you a dynamic lineup of crazy, hardcore, inspirational, amazing people that uh, the hope is that you will be inspired by them and get activated yourself. You can go to thegreaterreset.org for more information. Thegreaterreset.org for more information. Without further ado, let's bring on our guests. Hello, Christian Marjorie. How are y'all? Doing well, John. Thanks so much for having me. Excellent. Thanks for being here. How are you, Marjorie? Yeah, I'm doing great. And I mean, considering the situation, but <laughs> yeah. Excellent. Okay, cool. So the format today, we are going to break down the problem, how some people are struggling to eat and how a lot of this may be engineered. There's all sorts of engineered things that happen by design, false flags, social engineering, manipulation on a massive scale. And like, I think it was Henry Kissinger said, using food as a weapon. And we see that coming underway big time. So let's start off with you, Christian. Uh, if you could share why you think that this famine, first tell me what a famine is and then why you believe that it's engineered. Sure. So you're right. The establishment has telegraphed already their intention to use food as a weapon, as a method to obtain compliance during these, you know, last year of the agendas all going to food, into full swing. What they have been calling, what the UN and other think tanks have been calling from 2020 to 2030, the decade of action. Uh, a lot of emphasis on, as you mentioned, all aspects of the technocracy rolling forward right now, but among them, and somewhat neglected by a lot of people, is the food aspect. And, uh, <clears throat> you know, the UN has been telling us for some time that we need to start eating bugs in order to save the planet from global warming and uh, reshaping both the way we grow food and the, what we eat fundamentally, our, our diet. Uh, so all of these things are coming into play right now, but the problem is that people don't want to change what they're eating. They're, they're pretty happy with uh, with the way that humans have always eaten since the beginning of time. Uh, and so in order to make the case 
that we have to change the way we grow food, that we have to change our diet. There's now, we're entering into a period of um, tremendous, it's, you know, you've seen words lately in the news, and this is no longer really, you know, our conversations have changed so much, even since we began speaking, that um, this is no longer something where it's some guy on YouTube talking about this is about to happen. It's now, you know, we saw Rabobank, a major bank, warn just a few weeks ago that we were entering a new commodity super cycle. A, uh, they likened it to the seven years of biblical famine that Joseph went through and uh, through a, a series of analogies uh, just warned that food prices were escalating rapidly and that this is going to uh, turn into tremendous geopolitical risk. And then actually just yesterday, those who occupy the White House uh, just put out a, a huge warning about um, inflation in the months ahead. And of course, this includes food prices, although they don't include that in a lot of their inflation numbers because they'd rather look away. That's that's the inflation that you and I know when we go to the store and we see that food prices are escalating quite quickly. So people are probably already starting to experience this without perhaps knowing what's going on. But yeah, as you intimated, this is a, uh, a part of the agenda to make people uh, sort of sense that there's something wrong with the food supply and they see empty shelves, they see food prices rising and they ask for help. And of course, the establishment is there ready with their solutions, with their lab grown meat, with their indoor vertical farms and uh, insect protein to, uh, to to answer that call. Yeah. And they're ready to roll with the vaccine as well, with all sorts of social pressures for that. Uh, before we go any further, can you share with the audience a little bit about your background and why this particular area of focus is so important to you? Sure. So, I mean, I have just been looking deeply at reality for some number of years now and uh, everything from trying to understand the reality behind the climate change hoax and global warming and uh, what, what's actually going on there with climate cycles and the interaction of the sun and its activity here. And that led me to looking at the grand solar minimum, um, how this has decimated food production in the past and indeed toppled empires. You can look and see a, a pretty um, compelling correlation between the activity on the sun and when it goes into these extended grand solar minima and, uh, you know, empires collapsing because they run out of food. And so um, while I looked at, you know, geoengineering and things like that, and a, a ton of other, certainly vaccines, a ton of these issues, it was really the case that food, I thought, was underrepresented and was something that, you know, we all eat every day. And so it was just something that, that needed to be talked about. But, um, but it is interesting, I think, that the fact that by most uh, models, by 2030, we're entering into one of these grand solar minima where the sun's output drops off and crops are going to be having trouble uh, growing in a lot of parts of the world. It's already started to happen. You can see tremendous crop failures around the world and these uh, losses are mounting. That, uh, that the establishment may have sensed that they had no option but to roll forward, to push forward with this total technocratic takeover of everything. And so that's, I think, what inspired them, even when it seems like they're, they're, they're sort of moving too quickly and maybe they're waking too many people up. I think they, they had a deadline and that was that if they didn't get something in place, they didn't get people literally locked down and fed with fake meat by 2030, that uh, that things would boil over. So uh, food is really just why. That's, that's why I focus so much on food, yeah. Yeah, it's it doesn't get more important than food. Without it, you can't really live. I mean, I guess you could live for a couple of days, a few days. But uh, yeah, so you mentioned the federal government here in the United States earlier. You know, this agenda has been underway for a century at least, and these big manipulators and social engineers, they have grandiose plans, intergenerational. You know, Trump, it seems like the agenda carried on, but it was like maybe like 50 miles an hour. And now that we have Biden in power, it's going 75, 100 miles per hour. Can you talk specifically about some of the actions the Biden administration has taken that 
is furthering this idea of an engineered famine? Sure. I mean, you're dead on that Biden came in and within his first week, there was a slurry of executive orders that um, a lot of which he talked about in the campaigns. And we'd seen promises like paying farmers to stop farming and put their food, their, their land rather into conservation, uh, all in the name of reducing carbon emissions and trying to save the world from global warming. So in this, in this, um, a lot of these things are lumped into that zero carbon agenda and uh, global warming narrative. So the 30-30 plan was the way that he achieved that. This Biden-Harris administration said, we're going to put 30% of the nation's water off limits to people. We're going to put 30% of the nation's land, including farms that are already producing, into conservation. And they have, you know, they, they I want to be careful here. I've heard from some farmers when they say that we're not just getting paid to stop farming. They are telling us we have to stop farming. This is not some option. We're not getting bought out. We are being shut down and then handed a, a small pittance uh, that they can use to say, yeah, this is this is great for farmers. Look how they're making more money now. And uh, indeed, there are like studies out of the University of Sheffield that say here, uh, sheep farmers could make more money if they would just stop farming sheep. They could just sit back on their uh, land and, and collect carbon uh, offsets. And it looks like they'd be more profitable that way. Um, so 3030 plan was one thing that's been launched. And of course, that makes no economic sense whatsoever, right? To have goods and services tra traded without uh, or money handed over without goods and services actually produced. But in the world of the technocrats, where they can simply tell you that the value of a cow fart or the um, unicorn dreams are entering, and they can really model whatever they want and then impose that economic reality on us. And that's what's happening right now. So, um, so yeah, there was a series of executive orders, including that 3030 plan, but also with respect to um, limiting the amount that farmers are able to get done on their farms. Uh, putting limits on various aspects of agricultural production. And of course, the USDA was charged with um, mapping a path forward, again, during this next decade of action over this next 10 years, creating a net zero plan of their own. So how can we produce food with zero carbon emissions? And if you've looked at all at the way this whole carbon emissions things works, um, that pretty much rules out any animal source foods because animals are, you know, living creatures. They're living carbon <laughs> creatures. And we, uh, yeah. we interact so with them. Yeah. So, so, um, so yeah, I actually did, did a report just last week about the zero carbon agenda called absolute slavery, because there is a, uh, a report out of the UK. It's called the UK fires group that it's called absolute zero. And they gave you this nice sort of breakdown line by line of, okay, here's what it means to go to zero carbon in terms of food, in terms of shipping, air transport, which doesn't exist in the future by 2050, uh, cars, which you're not going to be allowed to own by 2050, and just went down line by line. And it's staggering when you take a little bit of a longer view out to what does it mean when they say zero carbon? You know, food is only a, only a part of that. But as you mentioned, it's a very important part. Um, and so, yeah, Biden is, is has, as soon as he got in there, started going down the, uh, the list of those things. We're seeing... Um, extra taxes on air transport. France just announced that they're going to shut down domestic, shorter domestic flights. And so if you look at all of these things that are happening, just as, well, that's kind of crazy. I wonder why they're doing that. Then, uh, then it's not really, it's not going to click for you. It's not until you turn that lens and really look at it through the, through the view of, okay, they are really constructing a total slave grid here. This is the absolute zero plan that they're whittling away at and implementing piece by piece that, uh, that a lot of these actions start to make sense. Yeah, and it's been underway for quite some time, but it's really accelerated. And you're correct to point out this decade, 2020 to 2030, we had Agenda 21, which was in 1992, and that was really laying out, making it concrete, this agenda to use environmentalism as a means of global control. 
and deindustrialization really. And then they released Agenda 2030, an updated version with the sustainable development goals. And, and you're right, the zero carbon stuff. And, and then it all plays in with the Great Reset, of course. They want to reshape capitalism and the way people do business away from the values of profit or a farmer selling food to earn a living and add in these new elements of zero carbon emissions and carbon offsets. And it's absolutely nuts. Let's bring in Marjorie uh, here into the fray. Marjorie, what's your take on the role that the federal government and even global governance is playing in uh, in hurting people's food supplies and access to food? Well, you know, um, I would say the biggest issue is them printing or effectively printing trillions and trillions of dollars, which is putting a huge amount of pressure on food inflation. You know, you just have so much money floating around out there. Uh, we also have a, a huge slowdown the supply chain is breaking down. I don't know how much of that is due to the federal government, due to regulations or tariffs. Even in my small business, I mean, the grow network is not that big and comparatively. We we're, we we had we used to like to sell uh, our herbs and um, have them in jars, right? Because that's our value is a recyclable, reusable, useful package. Last July, we could no longer buy any jars. And then we said, well, we'll have to put them in plastic bags. We're even having a hard time getting plastic bags, much less even buying the herbs. So there is a breakdown going on in the in the in the global supply uh, system. I'd see all other kinds of regulations in terms of like the whole COVID experience of uh, just requiring all these workers to be tested. A lot of them don't want to be, so they don't show up to work. The same thing's happening on farms. It's happening in grocery stores. It's happening throughout the entire supply chain. So the whole COVID thing is, you know, doing what it's apparently designed to do, which is to completely hamper uh, global economic activity as we know it. Yeah, it's, I'm always in awe of, of the, of what they pulled off this agenda with COVID. It was like 9-11 was pretty master, masterful deception and they got everyone afraid. And then they implemented all these anti-terror regulations and laws, greater surveillance. And then with COVID, Man, whether it was man-made or not, or bioengineered, or bioweapon, or whatever, the result was pretty phenomenal and effective. And it's how it ties in with the Great Reset, which again, Christian and Marjorie are going to going to be presenting at the Greater Reset. It's the people's response to the Great Reset. Instead of more centralization, more control, more surveillance, we're going to have decentralization, more freedom, more privacy, and we're encouraging people to take responsibility for their lives. And the inflation, anybody that goes to the grocery store can experience that inflation. It's it's happening. It's been happening for quite some time, but it's just totally accelerated. I have myself, my partner, my two kids, and we try to eat all organic and good food. And man, the grocery bills are $400 sometimes. And it's the same thing that we used to get for 200 or 300 not too long ago. So it just really underscores the importance of, of growing your own food. But before we get in depth about growing your own food. Christian, can you share with us uh, that about fertilizer shortages? I've heard you speak about fertilizer shortages taking place here in the US. What's that all about? Yeah, I mean, it's kind of an everything shortage. There was a couple couple of weeks ago where we where we drew up that conversation. Fertilizer is absolutely on the list. There's phosphate and uh, China had sort of stopped exporting some of their phosphates last year. And so you can pull up, I hope we can pull up a graph of um, fertilizer prices because they, you know, they're sort of creeping up and then they just go vertical as soon as we hit 2021. And I interviewed a guy named Josh Linville, who is a 
a fertilizer guy. That's like his his uh, industry. He does it's all he does all day. And um, you know, at first he was quite concerned. He was tweeting like, "Whoa, this is going to be historic." And so I got him on. I was like, "Tell me, why is this going to be historic? Why you, you, there's obviously something going on here in the market?" And uh, he 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 was reluctant to really put it into terms uh, directly on an interview as opposed to just some tweets about it. He was saying, "Well, maybe the, you know, I I kind of hope that the market forces are going to correct here and everything's going to turn out to be yeah." Look, there you go. So uh, so this is obviously not like a normal looking graph in terms of price action. And, it's like uh, the price of Bitcoin. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Which it's all farmers, related, right? <laughs> except this goes into, you know, this is a an input for food production. And so farmers are faced with with the choice now of saying, okay, am I going to fertilize my, my crops this year? Am I going to apply phosphates? Or am I going to instead dig into my fertility and sort of, you know, it, it's kind of like a bank account there. There's some nutrients in the soil and we can, if it's really expensive out in the market, we can just sort of whittle away at our soil's uh, fertility and hopefully come back and re replenish that next year. But that still does have an effect on yield. Um, or you go ahead and apply anyway, or you apply less of it somewhere in between, but at, at greatly increased costs. And at some point, yes, this all gets passed on to you. And so the reason I say it's the everything shortage, like Marjorie said, that you know things are breaking down. And the evergreen sitting there stuck in the Suez Canal was really iconic. It was really emblematic of the way that this whole multinational, transnational, global trade with shipments of containers moving everywhere, um, it's um, it's now just breaking down. That, that ship shoved everything down to the ground. All shipments were delayed. And, uh, and this translates into, you know, we've seen plastic shortages. This is why cars aren't able to be made right now because they can't get the plastics for the forms or they can't get the integrated circuits, the chips for their computers. And any one of these components uh, keeps the whole whole uh, pipeline shut down there. And so this is this is really turning into a sort of a cascading situation where more and more industries are being affected. More and more people are staying at home because their jobs are being shut down. And that means the whole economy is grinding to a halt. And when you when you multiply that by as the White House themselves told us yesterday, I mean, this also informs that price inflation. Uh, but but when you look at this happening at the same time as prices exploding, it's just a tremendously volatile situation we're having right now. So it's it's worth keeping an eye on and preparing for. Yeah, it's absolutely nuts. And it's not just here in the United States or no, folks no. experiencing in their own country. It's a global issue. Can you talk about some of the imbalances and chicanery that is going on between the United States and China, two big superpowers? Sure. So China has been more than happy to, um, they probably have been anticipating the fact that there would be shortages of commodities and that the prices would be running up as they now are. And so for the last year, China has been hand over fist just purchasing anything they get. They really cleaned Brazil out of soybeans and corn and then have been doing the same thing with the United States. And I'll say that they've been making record purchases of our commodities. Um, a lot of this in the media was called, it was because of this great trade deal that Trump did, but it's this eclipses anything you can talk about. When, we, when I say record levels, I mean there was a single week during which China purchased more corn than any year in history. And so it's, it, it's like that fertilizer graph. It's just off the charts. And when you start to see Right, the fertilizer price go through the roof. China's purchases of corn explode to levels never before seen. You definitely get the sense that something is going on here, and, you're, and you would be right. Right, there, there's a, a food war, a commodity war playing out right now. China has cleaned out Brazil. They were buying next year's crop as well. Uh, all there are other major exporters um, that um, that are running out of soybeans and corn, and they're now looking to import. This is happening in the Black Sea where they had a a bad harvest and in South America where they had a bad harvest because of La Nina and again, because of the grand solar minimum. 
Uh, and so it's a bad thing, right? When countries that are usually the big bread baskets of the world and they produce a ton of food and then export it out to the rest of the world, when they are running out of, of beans and corn and are looking out on the world markets to try and find it, uh, they're, not, they're not finding it. So this is why you know, you can see this playing out in terms of like China. There's an announcement from Bloomberg. China is trying to reformulate their animal feed to, to find sources of wheat or other things and, and substitute out from corn and soybeans. There's a bill here in the U.S. to do a similar thing to allow farmers to plant a cover crop, uh, even if they collect on crop insurance to say, well, maybe we, we really do need to feed these animals to so go ahead and grow something anyway. Um, so governments and at that level, at the nation state level, it's very clear what's going on and they've started taking actions. When you watch these actions, you can tell that, yeah, there's a global commodity shortage right now. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's bad and getting worse. Can you share any, and maybe it's something that you've already discussed today, but what do you think would be a good indicator to watch if there's a big change, if there's an increase, a decrease, a big indicator that really is the signal that crap is hitting the fan right now? I mean, it is hitting the fan. It's like frog in the boiling pot, but something that would just be total alarming red flag. Are there any things that you would, that would come to mind? I think we've been new <laughs> we've been enumerating them. Yeah, um, a lot of these things were trends to keep an eye on before, and now those trends have have just bro broken out into the, those vertical lines that we're seeing. Um, and yes, the the major breadbaskets going on in the world market. You know, when you see Russia, Ukraine going out to try and buy grains. And limiting their exports, that's another, there's a big red flag as well we can mention. When you see the big bread baskets of the world, like Brazil, Argentina, Ukraine, and Russia, put caps on how much grain they're willing to export in order to, to defend their own food supplies and in order to keep domestic prices uh, contained, then you know that the situation has, has gone uh, into, into the red, really. Um, and that's been happening over the last six months now, where these, these price caps... In fact, there was an article you might be able to pull up that was... Um, the export restrictions have started to really hit home. They've started to affect food prices around the rest of the world. And, uh, you know, the, the countries that aren't breadbaskets, when they are going to these major producers and they're not able to get food, there's, I mean, that's, there's, there's no, there it is. Yeah, there's, there's no second market for them to go to. And so there are farms in Nigeria and other places around the world, you can read, where the animals are dying because there just isn't uh, soybeans or animal feed in order to keep them alive. Of course, this plays into stepping back from the immediate situation. This is all by design. This plays into this uh, agenda for uh, an end of animal agriculture, which is the stated mission of people like Pat Brown, the CEO of Impossible Foods, who's highly funded by Bill Gates. And he's open. Bill Gates is out there a couple of weeks ago saying we should all be eating synthetic meat. So they're very open about the fact that they intend to shut down animal agriculture. They're just not going to tell you that they're working in the background to actually make sure that it happens, even as they introduce these fake meats that are the answer, their, their answer to this Hegelian dialectic. Wow. Yeah. And, you know, it's... It's all a lot of this stuff was happening organically, but it's being accelerated and pushed. And these globalists and powerful figures like Bill Gates are really throwing fuel on the fire. So on the second half of our program, we are really going to lean in on the solutions, solutions that everyone can take in their day to day lives in order to become more food secure, because we all know we cannot depend on these centralized vulnerable institutions that are literally crumbling around us. We've all been pitching this message for many, many years now, and it's even more pressing now. And there's so much vindication, especially after COVID-19. So 
Uh, after this short break, we're going to hear from Marjorie Wildcraft on some of the solutions, some day-to-day -day activities that you can do in order to increase the food activity, the food security for your family. I want to thank everyone that's tuned in live, watching on YouTube, especially shout out to those watching on Float and DLive, some alternative uh, mechanisms, and shout out to the podcast audience listening after the fact. If you'd like to join the subscribe to our podcast feed, you can go to livefreenow.show, livefreenow.show, and I'd also invite you to join our newsletter. We're here on YouTube, and we got a big audience here, but I strongly encourage you to check out these alternative platforms because our days are surely numbered. And uh, before we go any further, I want to take a small moment to hear from one of our sponsors. We'll be right back. Hey everybody, let's take a quick minute to improve your life by reminding you about my old friend John Bush, whom I've known since the first Ron Paul presidential campaign. He's been a guest on The Tom Woods Show several times. We did a whole episode on Kratom, which is a natural remedy that's helped a lot of people with chronic pain, stress, and anxiety, energy, and focus, even overcoming addiction. You can hear the full interview I did with John on this at tomwoods.com slash Kratom. Well, apparently, after that interview, he had a pretty big surge in sales from listeners. We've had a lot of people reporting they've had profound results with it. People saying they feel better than they've felt in years. I just got an email from somebody saying he used to drink every single night just to be able to get to sleep. He doesn't have to do that anymore now that he's using Kratom instead. And it can have great results like this for you too, but you won't know until you try it. And John's making it really easy to do that because he's giving you some for free. He put together an offer you can find along with our interview over at tomwoods.com slash Kratom. All you have to do is pay for shipping and he'll send you an ounce to try free of charge. So if you want to see what all the fuss is about, head on over to tomwoods.com slash Kratom, listen to the interview and take advantage of his free offer. That's tomwoods.com slash Kratom, K-R-A-T-O-M. All right, all right, all right. Thank you so much for tuning in. This is the Live Free Now Show, bringing you the news, views, tips, and tools you can use to live free, prosperous, and healthy life. Be sure to check us out at livefreenow.show. Today, we're speaking with Christian Westbrook, the Ice Age Farmer, iceagefarmer.com, and Marjorie Wildcraft of the Grow Network. I think it's grownetwork.org. We'll get that exact thegrownetwork.com, thegrownetwork.com and iceagefarmer.com. Both of these amazing human beings will be participating in the Greater Reset 2, which is taking place May 24th through the 28th. It'll be virtual. You can check it out for free at thegreaterreset.org, or you can join us in person in Zihuatanejo, Mexico, or here in Austin, Texas. That's right. We're doing a live event. There's not going to be a whole lot of space. There's going to be about 100 people we can fit in Austin. I know it's going to sell out, so be on the lookout for an announcement if you want to be there in person. Okay, for the second part of this program, we are going to be focusing on solutions. So let's hear from Marjorie. I know that that's your forte, the backyard groceries and the food production systems. And I remember way back in the day um, when I was running Brave New Books or participating in Brave New Books, you had this awesome DVD that you would sell. So you, you've been an expert on this area for quite some time. Can you share with us what you would say are some good, solid beginner's tips that people can engage in to just get the ball rolling when it comes to food production? I think you might need to unmute your mic there also, Marjorie, if you can hear me. Oh. There you go. There yeah, 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 sorry about that. yeah. I don't know how many people who would love to have me muted, but anyway. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So um, first of all, the first tip is is get started immediately because this is happening. It's going down right now, and you know you need to you need to start growing food, or quite frankly, you're 
probably not going to be able to afford to eat. Also, the food supply, the existing food supply, quite frankly, is toxic. If you're going to eating from the grocery stores uh, and the restaurants, you're not getting enough nutrition to support your body. So to get started, first of all, people always think about gardens, and that's one component. And John, you and I will get next into like the three things that you should be starting with. Uh, but I want to clear up a couple of misconceptions and myths about um, growing food in a garden. And the first is people think soil is just dirt, like I don't want it in my house, and it's getting on my clothes, and my kids are coming in with it. And all it's there is to hold up the plant. And I want to completely bust up that myth. The soil should be a vibrant living organism and very much similar to your gut, your gut microbiome. So your soil should be full of microbes and minerals and life and activity. And what it does is it extends the roots of the plants out even further uh, and also helps convert some of the soil minerals into uh, different types of salts and uh, compounds that the, the plants can actually use to take those minerals. Uh, and people say, what, what is the biggest secret to a green thumb? And I would say having really, really good soil. And if there's anything to spend money on, that is going to be on really get some good living soil from a, a, an organic nursery. Now, you can grow your own soil. And if you have absolutely nothing, that's what you need to do. Uh, but it does take time. And we don't have a lot of time right now. I also recommend the garden style that you should use should be a raised bed type garden bed. And you don't need a lot. I mean, 50 square feet will produce a huge amount for you. And that's going to be something that's about four feet wide by 12 and a half feet long by 16 inches to 24 inches deep. And you'd fill that with the best possible soil that you can come up with. Uh, and again, that soil, rich living soil has minerals in it. And those minerals will feed the plants. And when your plants are strong, they will produce really beautiful, healthy uh, products for you to eat, and they will transfer those minerals to you, so you will not need as many supplements, uh, right? You'll be getting it directly from your food. Insects are the predators to the plant kingdom, and as we all know, predators tend to focus on the weak of the species, and if your plants have all the minerals and life and vitality they need, they tend to shrug off insects, and they tend to be very much more carefree, maintenance-free uh, gardens. So you have really poor soil, you're probably going to have more insect problems. The other reason to have really great soil is it holds water better. So as a new person, you're going to probably be erratic in your watering. Uh, and having a really good soil is going to be much more forgiving for that, especially it tends to dry out less. So And it holds water and retains water better. So the number one thing to focus on in your garden is going to be soil. Yeah, the soil is absolutely critical, having that microbiome. And it's crazy, the synergy between the earth and animals and soil and our own human bodies, because we too have a microbiome in our bodies. And the more healthy organic food that we eat and the less antibiotics and the less processed chemical crap that we consume, the healthier our microbiome is as well, right? Absolutely a direct correlation. And then also the diversity of uh, life and bacteria and things that are in your soil microorganisms is very similar to the same about the diversity in your own gut. Mm -hmm. That the more things you'll be able to digest and the more nutrients you'll be able to get out of that food. 
Yeah. And not to get back into the conspiratorial view of history, but it is so in our face. It was actually the Rockefeller Foundation that pushed this whole idea of monocropping upon the world. And just like they do with the Great Reset, where they're like, we want to help the environment and we want to help people that are in poverty, when in reality, they're doing a con game. You know, they were the Rockefeller Foundation wanted to help end famine and help folks that were impoverished and and had trouble growing food, when in reality, they just depleted the soil globally. And it actually takes a long time to get that soil back to a healthy place. Let me ask you this. What do you think are three of the most efficient food sources that someone could grow? Because efficiency is absolutely critical when it comes to backyard food production systems. What are your top three, Marjorie? It, it absolutely is vital. I mean, you are just, just because the world collapses does not mean you're going to have a whole bunch of free time, right? If anything, you're going to be busier than ever. So we absolutely have to have food production systems that are targeted toward efficiency and efficiency is going to be producing the most nutrition and calories as possible in the least amount of space and the least amount of time and calories up until now has been a whole you know like horrible thing uh, you know it's a negative connotation but uh really the the currency of the future is going to be based on calories that's what's going to be the most important thing to people is eating if you do any kind of uh history uh, reading of historical accounts or even interviewing people that are alive today that have lived through collapsed situations. Yes, they're worried about defense and, and good to have personal defense, know how to handle a gun, know how to block an attacker. Medicine is very important, but the biggest thing they talk about is being hungry. And uh, I don't want to piss off all the vegans and vegetarians, but the most efficient animal uh, products to produce in your backyard are going to be animal products. And the number one most efficient is going to be rabbits. Uh, and a home rabbitry does not take that much room at all. I mean, really, you can set up a, a home rabbitry in about the size of a place where you'd park your car, um, a buck and three breeding does. Uh, and they'll produce uh, in Texas. I used to regularly produce about 75 to 80 rabbits a year. A rabbit is the equivalent of a chicken. So you're thinking about 75 to 80 a year. That's you're talking about a rabbit and a half a week to eat, which is actually the protein requirements for a family of four. Uh, more importantly, you're going to get the organ meats and the bones, which can be made into deeply nutritious bone broths. And then the organ meats are highly, highly valued for their nutrient concentration, their nutrient density. Uh, rabbits are also another great food source to grow. People often think, well, why don't I get some chickens and I can raise some chickens in my backyard and have chicken every week? Chickens and pigs are omnivores. And what that means is they like to compete with us for food sources. So they really would like to eat grains or they'd like to eat other things that we like to eat. Babbits are primarily, you know, they're herbivores. And they're going to be eating things that we actually can't digest. And a lot of grasses, a lot of maybe your landscape trimmings, alfalfa, those kind of things, which are actually much less expensive food sources or easier food sources for you to obtain than it is. It's a lot easier to feed a rabbit but basically than it is to feed a chicken. That's why they're one of the best uh, backyard food sources to produce because you don't have to come up with as much food uh, to feed them. The second food source that's going to be really, uh, really, really productive for you, that is going to be uh, a flock of uh, uh, chickens for eggs or possibly ducks. Either one would do well. And to give you an idea with chickens, a, a chicken can produce about 250 eggs a year. Uh, a pretty, pretty good laying hen. And if you have a flock of six of them, that means you'll be getting about 1,500 eggs a year. So if that's just you alone, you can think you're going to have 
three egg omelets every morning for breakfast for every day of the year, if you'd like. And then you'll have 500 eggs to give away to friends and family, which is dozens and dozens of eggs to barter or trade. So they're hugely, hugely productive. Um, it, it, our chickens for eggs makes a whole lot of sense than it does for chickens for meat. Again, they, they do eat food scraps and they do eat leftovers. You may need to buy a little bit of feed to supplement them. There's lots of ways to grow chicken feed. Uh, but chickens are a great thing. I, I also recommend six of them. First of all, chickens are flocking animals, and it's very stressful. For, for the smaller the numbers they have, it's very stressful on the chickens. So you want to have a good size of them, and that's because they're always looking out for each other. And the more of them there are, then the, the less stress it is on a whole flock. So backyard uh, flock of chickens, and again, the coop and run for them, really, you can build a coop and run and have that fit in about the size of a, a parking space. The city of Austin, Texas, actually is funding people uh, to paying them to get chicken coops because they found that the amount of waste that goes into the landfill is reduced drastically because people cool. are feeding their scraps to their chickens. So, and they actually actively have all kinds of courses, free courses that you can sign up for. So it's actually encouraged by the city. And I think more and more cities will encourage that. The final food source that I recommend is potatoes, believe it or not. If you're living in a more temperate, cooler climate, the Irish, the classic Irish potato is great. And then if you're living in a Southern climate, the sweet potato is good. And you're approximately going to get, um, I believe it's about 100 calories per square foot in a garden area. 100 square feet of uh, a garden area will get you actually about 100 pounds of uh, potatoes. And if you think about it, a, a, a pound of potatoes is a pretty big size in the potatoes. So you're talking about almost, you know, uh, uh, 100 servings of potatoes, which is a pretty nice chunk of eating. Uh, so potatoes are a, a really great staple to grow. They generally take about four or five months in the ground in your garden. Uh, and those are the three most calorically dense and easiest uh, things to produce. So that would be rabbits for meat, awesome. chickens for eggs, and potatoes for just some really good basic starch and calories. Yeah, and that's a good point that you bring up on the chickens. I used to raise chickens. We had over 100 chickens at one point. And when you slaughter them for meat, they don't, the chicken breast that you get on them and the legs and everything, they don't look like what you're used to in the grocery store, which more often than not is just cracked, jacked full of hormones and stuff. They're, they're thin little stinkers, but uh, the eggs are definitely plentiful. We used to trade a dozen eggs for a silver dime, a dime a dozen. We were bringing that back. Silver dime was worth like 250 at the time. Then the price of silver went down. So we're like, all right, we're going to, we're not going to do that, but uh, yeah. So uh, I think Christian may have something to add here. You know, just real quick at the the Greater Reset, you guys were on with Jack Spierko as well. He's going to be participating in the D3 Tech Summit. He's all into agorism and, and decentralized technology, privacy coins and stuff. He's not going to be able to make it for the Greater Reset, but you guys did a presentation together and solo, and there was a big emphasis on the role that meat production plays in raising livestock. Later on in the broadcast, another day, we had a gentleman that was pretty strongly vegan and had some pretty unpleasant things to say about meat eaters. Just uh, let me get your take, Christian, on the role <laughs> that uh, that you think meat plays in in a healthy diet and, 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 and the synergy between, you know, a farm farmer and the animals. Sure. So I think uh, I mean, Margie mentioned already that it is the most efficient form of, of nutrient production. You get healthy fats, good protein. It's hard to get 
the it's hard to, to get there with just plant-based protein. John Jeevan's book does a, a good job of that, trying to lay out how you can achieve that uh, with an organic garden that'll still hit most of your needs. Um, I try not to tread on people's, you know, like speak ill of people's diets. My issue is more with the fact that this diet is being enforced. You look at the Eat Lancet planetary health diet, it is decidedly a vegan slanted diet that is going to eliminate animal source foods. And like I said earlier, they're eliminating animal agriculture. So my issue is really not with the way that anybody eats. I would support your ability to have a completely snail-based diet or what really, I, it's, it's, <laughs> it's up to you. And, and I love liberty and I love your ability to do that as long as it doesn't affect my ability to eat whatever I want, right? That's the whole idea here. Um, it's when they start taking control over the diet as they've indicated that they are, as they're actively doing now, that, uh, that I think we need to pay attention. I just want to step back though and say that like to, to sort of echo and add to some of the things that Marjorie said, Growing food is, is is not only possible, it's really fun and enjoyable. And I think it's a spiritually connected thing to do. It really restores, um, you know, if you if you spend a lot of time looking at the agendas and the dark side, you know, mentioned that these conspiracies are all up in our faces and they really are now. And so sometimes I personally just find it really helpful to unplug and go outside into the garden and spend some time there. Um, and then the other aspect of this is it's, it's not that difficult when you just have, you know, I've got a bag here, a couple of bags here from just a single... Um, you know, a single broccoli plant will yield tons and tons of seeds. And that's true of other brassicas as well. Here's a purple, um, a purple kale where you just one of them didn't get harvested. And so it had some flowers, goes to seed, and then you walk along and beets are like this as well. So this is one of the reasons, John, where, why they are so bent on making this an aggressive in your face takeover of food is that if some of us were, and that's the whole point of this conversation, right? If if some of us notice what's going on and really start to spread this message and take this upon ourselves to save seeds, give those to our neighbors and spread that out, then we really can turn this around quite quickly. You know, the, the power grid is one where like, it's kind of hard. It's very capital intensive for people to all install solar at the same time. Like it's, it's more difficult to imagine a world where over the next year, we all somehow divorce ourselves from the power grid. Um, overnight like that. But um, but with food, you really can make the case that uh, if just a few of us this year start growing food and saving seeds, and then we're there next year, especially as we start to hit these, this, this hockey stick of price inflation, food price inflation, especially, more and more people are going to be there wanting to grow their own food. And if those of us have bags of seeds like this ready to go, we can make a meaningful impact with that. So that's one of the, another reasons that it's just really important that we all start doing this right now. Yeah, I love that. And food is like a universal language, really. Everyone eats, everyone can share in community over food. There's not much controversy, although maybe the vegan meat eater thing is controversial. But, you know, people aren't fighting one another over some good carrots or whatever. There was even this guy, John Van Dusen, that started this Food is Free project where the goal was to set up wicking bed gardens in your front yard and then offer to help build them in your neighbor's front yards, grow different crops, and then you just meet and share food with one another. So, and then having seeds, yeah, like, you know, guns, grains, seeds, these can be a currency if we keep on the current trajectory. There's immense value in being able to grow your own food and the seeds are a currency and you're popping off not only the fruit that you can consume, but the seeds that will produce indefinite food if you keep if you keep it going. Did you have something you wanted to add there, Marjorie? Yeah, well, you asked the question of why animals, there's a super important reason beyond the fact that they're the easiest uh, and most nutritious calories you can produce. And that is you constantly need to keep feeding your soil and, and cycling nutrients in your system. And yeah, John Cubans has the how to grow more vegetables than you ever thought possible. 
fantastic book, and he does outline a way that you can grow a whole complete plant-based diet. It's a very Spartan diet. It's actually kind of a tough diet. It's definitely vegan. Uh, but animal products, if you your rabbits and rabbit pellets uh, and the chickens and the chicken manure, they create the fertility that makes it so much easier and so much more fertile to make your, your garden grow better, to make your grasses grow better that you're going to be feeding the rabbits, to producing the other crops that you're going to feed the chickens. So you get this nutrient cycling going on. A really simple chemistry way to think about it is the air is approximately 70% nitrogen. And for most of us, uh, well, for, you know, uh, animals, it's a waste product, right? We breathe it in and then our bodies excrete that either through our urine or through our feces because we don't really need it. We're mostly into the, you know, the oxygen that we're really looking for when we're breathing. So our animals, our concentrations of nitrogen uh, in, in both their feces and their urine, and that happens to be in exactly the form that plants really want it in. So uh, it can really, you can really ramp up the fertility and the overall productivity of your system by integrating animals into it. In fact, I know quite a few vegans and vegetarians, they don't eat the meat and they, they, they are not interested in that, but they have rabbits in their system just for the pellets, just for the fertility, because it's so much faster to have animals turn uh, uh, grasses into fertilizer than it is to compost the plants and have it turn into fertilizer. Yeah. yeah. They're little fertilizer machines and there's so many different purposes for all the components of a backyard food production system. That's the important word system. It's a synergistic system with cycles and sustainability and all that good stuff. Let's go to a question real quick. Uh, more like a request from new Jupiter who's watching on YouTube. It ties in perfectly. Please discuss growing our own animal feed. They will try to price us out of feed soon. I remember when we had chickens, we really encouraged them to just go eat the grubs and the insects. That's the healthiest way to do it. Cause when we bought feed, especially when we tried to buy the non GMO stuff, it was expensive. So any tips on how you could produce your own feed on your, on your farm? Absolutely. Yeah. And thank you, New Jupiter. That's a really great question. I'd recommend for people who are ranked beginners to go ahead and buy some feed and use it because you're trying to learn so much other stuff. You got to remember to start locking that coop up at night and the waterer just broke. I mean, there's a lot to learn. So in the beginning, if you're a beginner, just feed and feed them because then it's going to make your journey easier. And that's one last thing to have to figure out. But once you start to get the systems going, it actually is fairly easy to produce at least half, if not more, of the feed for your animals. Again, rabbits, one of the reasons they're such a great meat source is the herbivores. So your grass clippings, uh, growing oats or rye, uh, you, a lot of your landscape trimmings in the wintertime when I was pruning my fruit trees, rabbits love to eat the peach, you know, the peach and the cherry and the, and the different uh, twigs and barks that came off of, of uh, pruning fruit trees. Uh, you know, actually some of the peach trees, you just feed them the leaves. There are trees that I used to grow just for them. One is called Moringa and another one's called Lucayena, uh, which that was in central Texas or different other trees that we call them fodder trees that you can grow and just cut off the branches and the leaves and everything. And the rabbits love them. So it's actually fairly easy to grow at least half of the feed for the rabbits. And then of course, in very hard times, you'd be able to figure out how to make it all the way. Chicken feed also, um, you know, mealy worms and uh, black soldier fly and other insect type production 
is is another th opportunity there. And again, using wastes, uh, waste streams to feed those chickens. Chickens love to be insectivores. So for those of us that are in warmer climates, it's 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 a lot easier to produce insects. They also there are breeds of chickens that are known to be good foragers and. Um, Having your chickens either be free-range or semi-free-range means they'll get out there uh, and they'll be eating their own greens and they'll also be pecking and hunting and finding bugs and, and helping to cut back on your feed bill. Um, so there, there are a, a lot of super creative ways uh, to actually come up with the feed for your animals. And you're absolutely right that, um, you know, the, the animal feed is, is kind of, it's already getting expensive too. I don't know if um, Christian mentioned this, but... Uh, Grain prices have gone up by about 30%. I think they went up about 30%. They just shot up in January by about 30%, which you're not going to notice that much when you go buy your corn chips because there actually isn't that much corn in corn chips. It's mostly the plastic bag and marketing and distribution. <laughs> but you will notice that in your meat, eggs, and milk, and dairy products, which are mostly corn. And, of course, those of us that are buying feed, uh, you're going to see it in your feed prices. Yeah. You got any follow up there, Christian? Yeah. I mean, feed prices are exploding. I've heard from a number of farmers who are saying, you know, when it's at the store, it's, it's already several dollars more per bag or whatever. So, um, so yeah, I think there's, there's a lot to this question. Uh, and no, I think it depends a lot on where you are. One of the things, you know, I've looked a lot at <laughs> certainly at the grow network and, and different success stories from people on there. Cause there's a ton of people sharing from different parts of the world, but here in California, it's a very long dry season. And so it's another bucket I've got right here. One thing that I started growing that's been doing really well is sorghum. It has a, if you look at the, you know, the, the chart of like how much biomass a plant produces given a certain amount of water, sorghum is like far and above one of the top ones out there. And so both my rabbits and my chickens have been getting a nice um, supply of sorghum because I can grow a ton of it. And it, and like you see, it's it just the seeds that come off these things are prolific. And so I'm out there giving it away to anyone in my neighborhood that wants it, start growing this, you can feed your chickens, you can, uh, you can actually turn it into, you know, grind it into a nice sweet syrup as well. But, um, but that's sort of beside the point here, which was that this was how I can maximize the amount of biomass, the amount of uh, feed production that I can do given uh, a very long dry season. So everything is going to really be um, a function of where you are and you know, in the words of Gabe Brown, who's a regenerative rancher, definitely worth checking out as well. But when I interviewed him, he told me these words that stuck with me, which is find your superpower, find what you can do really well where you are, and then just milk it. Don't worry about, you know, if the permaculture book says that this guy over there did it some other way, you might just not be able to do it that way. So find what works for you in your first season or two. Maybe you do a bunch of experiments, throw, throw a bunch of stuff at the wall and see what sticks because uh, there are something will, and then you can really um, scale that up the next year and keep doing more experiments. And gradually you find that you're in this virtuous cycle of things working well. I just added bees. And now when I'm out in the garden, uh, I, I am planting stuff and then a bee comes up and I just, it's great. I feel like there's an army of helpers that the more I learn and the more I build this home set up, um, I can feel their presence and their help with me. So uh, start today, start those virtuous cycles and uh, yeah, see how it goes. Yeah, I like that. Just focus on what you do well, what works in your area. A lot of people overthink it and that leads to inaction. So I think one of the most important things is just just to do it. What you know, I've always found tomatoes to be easy as hell to grow. And when you start getting some little victories and you can actually produce some big solid fruit, cut them up, put them in your salad, that's uh, pretty empowering. 
Uh, Marjorie, we have some show notes here. And one of the things that you wanted to cover was off-grid ways to automate your system. So everybody's, you know, I guess when crap hits the fan, we'll be less busy or maybe we'll be more busy focusing on survival. But that's why we need to focus on that now. But I'm a busy guy. I have a little food production on the side of our little tiny home in the process of buying some land. So we'll definitely ramp it up then. But it's hard for me to find time. Thank God my son is just obsessed with gardening and plant and he wakes up in the morning. It's the very first thing he does. I absolutely love it. He's going to be our, our master gardener. But what are some techniques and advice you have for folks that want to maybe make things a little more efficient and automate some of the process? Yeah, thanks. Thanks. So the first thing is the reason they used to call them kitchen gardens is you would step right outside the back door off the kitchen and the garden would be right there. So think about ergonomics and if you hopefully you've got a sunny spot out there, but have things as close as possible to your house. There's another wonderful saying that is if you're looking out the window and you're not seeing food production, then you're insane. So uh, <laughs> that is the definition of insanity. Is if you look out the window and it's your yard and there's not food production going on. And and the, it's just really simple. So, for example, I used to always grow strawberries, loved growing strawberries, always had them in a big strawberry container right next to the house. I never got to eat strawberries. My kids ate them, right? And I, I, I loved that. That was great. And then one year I decided I really wanted strawberries. So I moved them toward the back of the, you know, off the beaten path. You know, it was really only about 50 feet away. I got all the strawberries I wanted. <laughs> you know, even 50 feet, they, you, the kids weren't just, you know, it, it, it's human nature also. Like the further away your garden is, the less you're going to pay attention to it or tend it. Same for your livestock or anything else you're, you're doing. So have everything as close as possible. The other thing is, is there's some really great, uh, one of the great reasons that you can, why livestock is so much easier and it's so much less time intensive, uh, especially if you've got a semi-free uh, range of chickens or and, and and rabbits if you can put them in appropriate housing is uh, you know my chickens when it gets too hot they'll go in the shade right if it gets too cold they move out in the sun if they get thirsty they go get water uh, if they're hungry they go foraging around or they look for for me to get some food your your garden you know when it gets dry you have to go water it and you have to be mon constantly monitoring it so there's more input right you have to bring the compost which is the food for the garden you have to make it and bring it to the garden um if it gets too hot you've got a shade cloth over it gets too cold you have to cover it so generally uh vegetable crops tend to be more time intensive now i don't want to discourage anybody from vegetable crops because you need a diversity of everything because you never know what's coming uh, but animal products are much easier. Another great way to automate it is um, is you can just take a little five-gallon bucket with with a hose and a float valve, the, actually the kind of float valve that's in the back of almost every toilet, and uh, make a little automatic water, a livestock water. So that way I usually have two or three of those going because you want redundancy in everything in case something breaks. Uh, there's always going to be two or three sources because you really don't want your livestock to ever get dehydrated or suffer because of, um, of not having fluid to drink. Uh, but basically with those systems, you know, I would just fill that up once a week and check them all once a week. And then boom, I never had to think about watering. They, it was all available to them. If you want to have rabbits and pens, I have automatic water set up for them. They're little simple gravity fed water systems. Uh, I think we actually have some fruit plans at livestockwater.com um, where you can just you know, automate it like that. And when you are feeding your rabbits or chickens, there are really simple little gravity fed uh, 
um, chicken feeders that you can make out of uh, PVC or even just you know old uh, you know old wood that might be lying around. So yeah, you want to automate it as much as possible with simple off-grid systems. And you know if you think about it, all of our ancestors grew or, or foraged for their own food for like all of our history for maybe the last 100 years, right? And they didn't have electricity. And they were very much into doing things easily and simply. They didn't have time to, to, to complicate their lives either. I mean, they had to get stuff done. Uh, and so all these things do exist, and they have existed in our history. Actually, we're really uh, gifted at this point in time that we have all kinds of uh, new materials that we can use, and especially things like electric fencing with an off-grid battery and solar panel to help you know control livestock a little bit better. Uh, so we really have it a little bit easier now. But again, it doesn't have to be that complex. Um, these things have been around forever, and our people have been doing that for, for, for all of history. Yeah. Yeah. Don't overthink it. Just do it. It's critical for survival. Uh, one thing that helps make things easier, too, when it comes to growing food is is people having friends, community. I invite everyone to check out the Freedom Cell Network, freedomcells.org. We get countless stories of local groups where some of their first meetups and activities they do together is just show up to someone's house and build a little garden on the side of the house and then have dinner, a couple drinks afterwards. It's a great way to build community and a great way to accelerate the progress. And then you come over to my place this weekend. Next weekend, we're going to your place. The weekend after that, we're going to so-and-so's place. And before you know it, we're going to be able to grow food and swap with one another and share seeds and all that good stuff. That's what it's all about. All right. Well, we're coming up on an hour here. I like to keep these approximately an hour. So Christian, do you have any parting words for the audience that uh, you would like them to hear? I just wanted to add one more thing on the animal feed. Fermenting feed, fermenting grains can be another way to sort of stretch that. Just as when you ferment foods for humans, you get more nutrients or more bioavailable. Um, that's one way just to uh, return to that earlier question that you can help on the animal feed. But no, stepping back, I think we've we've sort of talked a little bit about the about some of the solutions here. I will re I will again underscore the importance and the urgency of the situation with the supply chain breaking down and the massive inflation picking up that um, we are sort of entering an everything shortage. And so if you are thinking through what it's going to take to stand up for your own food production, basically what I told my wife yesterday is whatever you want to have over the next year, get it now. And if it's something that you're going to want long term, then let's get whatever we need to be able to make it ourselves for the rest of time. Let's stand up those systems now because there is a real chance that the dollars we have, you know, um, the few dollars that I have in my pocket will be even worth less tomorrow. Uh, and that's if the shipments are coming in. So it really is sort of go time for everything. Start building anything you need. And you've already seen lumber explode through the roof. So maybe you, you can consider um, buying a mill and then becoming your neighborhood source of lumber. It's, it's just, it's time to really think creatively about what it means if the supply chain, the global you know, massive supply chain breaks down. How do we create something locally? How do we become a part of a local community? Maybe that is food like we've been talking about. Maybe that is lumber. If you're able to, to operate a mill and do that, there's, I guarantee you, whatever your background is and your experiences, there is a role and you're needed to step up to it right now. So that would be my final thought there. Yeah. Yeah, that's really good. Good stuff. And I think one thing that you really excel at is 
analyzing trends and having the foresight to predict what's to come. And then not just freaking out about it or writing articles or whatever, and everyone's freaking out and overwhelmed, but it's like, what can we do in order to overcome this, this inevitable change? And I think getting in that mindset and focusing on and doing thought experiments, like, okay, let's imagine that the worst case scenario happens. I mean, just what took place with COVID was absolutely nuts. And then shortly thereafter here in the South and Texas, especially, we had this huge ice storm that totally destroyed the power grid and all the bureaucracies just totally blew it. And that kind of stuff is going to happen more and more. The infrastructure is crumbling in this country. It really is a, an empire in decline. And you can see that in more ways than one. There's riots mm -hmm. all over the place, all the inflation. So think about like, okay, what is it possible the world could be like? In fact, it's becoming more and more likely. And then what will life be like that? What kind of value do I have to add in those circumstances? Perhaps my checkout job at the local grocery store or whatever there's sectors are going to change skills that are important right now may not be the skills that are needed and when it comes to one of the most important skills it's just producing value building the classic stuff carpentry growing your own food is absolutely critical so uh, marjorie what are some parting words that you have for our audience well um you know what you can grow half your own food in um almost the size of a three-car garage, like a, a very small backyard-sized space. And that is, you know, setting up a small rabbit tree, chickens, and a garden. I recommend you actually start with the garden first and then the chickens and then the rabbits. Um, uh, if you head over to www.growhalf.com, I've got a free video there for you that gives you an overview of the system and a whole bunch of resources on how to get started. Uh, we have an academy that teaches you, takes you step-by-step on how to uh, do uh, implement that chickens, how to implement the rabbitry, how to implement those gardens. And then we also have a whole bunch of other certifications and cool things like greenhouses and mushrooms and ducks and all kinds of, uh, oh, growing your own cannabis, <laughs> all kinds of stuff like that. So it's super fun. But head over to growhalf.com. Uh, I will say that when I first became aware of, of what is happening now, and I, I knew it was going to unfold on the planet, I became extremely freaked out. And so it's no surprise to me that the amount of mental health problems on the planet are skyrocketing. And I will tell you from having lived this experience where I was really like having panic attacks and couldn't sleep and, and, and relationships were deteriorating and everything was going falling apart because I... I knew that, that there was going to be some terrible, terrible times coming. Literally growing my own food healed me on every level, not only from the physical level of eating deeply nutritious food, all kinds of things like allergies and stuff like that just completely went away, but also emotionally and spiritually, knowing that I can source directly from the earth and I don't need a military industrial governmental complex to take care of me. You don't do the ohm and the squats and focus on your root. Go out in the backyard and start digging something up and build a chicken coop. And I promise you, you'll become more grounded. You'll become more healthy. And, and really mystical things start to happen when you're out there interacting with, with plants and animals. So you go to growhalf.com and get started. Excellent. Great, wise, sage words, somebody said in the comments. Yeah, and, and go outside without your shoes on, too, and reconnect with the earth and do some grounding and just experience the interconnectivity of all that is 
beautiful in this world. All right. Well, thank you so much. This has been a, a great program. We've been chatting with Marjorie Wildcraft of thegrownetwork.com, thegrownetwork.com, and Christian Westbrook, westbrookisagefarmer.com. Again, both of them are going to be participating in the Greater Reset Activation that's taking place May 24th through the 28th. Thank you so much for joining us, guys. Thank you, John. Thanks, John. Yeah. All right. Y'all take care. Okay. There you have it, ladies and gentlemen. Great program today. I want to thank you so much for tuning in. Perhaps you checked us out live on YouTube or DLive or Float, or maybe you're listening after the fact on the podcast. You can find more information and quality content like this at livefreenow.show, livefreenow.show. I want to invite you to the D3 Tech Summit, the Decentralized, Distributed, and Disruptive Technology Summit that's taking place April 24th and the 25th. We're going to be talking about the first decentralized evolution, our response to the Great Reset's fourth industrial revolution. So definitely check that event. And then we got the big, grand, greater reset number two coming up. Perhaps you checked out the first one. It was absolutely absolutely incredible. Don't forget we have the people's reset too. We want you to send in your videos of you taking action with your crew, with your family, what you have done since the last greater reset in January. And don't miss the next one coming up the 24th and the 28th of May. You can get more information at thegreaterreset.org. That's thegreaterreset.org. All right. Peace and freedom, everybody. Thank you so much for tuning in. We'll see you next time.